Official figures for Fiji indicate that 360,000 people are living in poverty. That's not much short of half of the nation's population, and some social agencies think the real figure may be even higher. In this Radio New Zealand Insight program, Philippa Tolly travels to Fiji to find out what's being done to improve the lives of the nation's poorest. When you've got about two-thirds of your country either in poverty or close to poverty, you've got a big problem. That problem isn't getting any smaller. Fiji's Council of Social Services says that the level of poverty in Fiji could be as high as 60%. It says despite the equivalent of $11 million in New Zealand terms being allocated by the ruling military regime to tackling poverty between 2008 and 2009, there are no reports on how much has been spent, where it's been used, or how effective the spending has been. The regime's guiding document, the Strategic Framework for Change, acknowledges the problem, stating that poverty is increasing and poses a real threat and challenge to the nation. It speaks of reducing poverty to negligible levels by 2015, just four years away, but there are no specific details. There are already about 200 squatter settlements throughout the country, but the greatest concentrations are around Nandi and the capital. Driving into Suva, these communities are obvious. Right next to a busy road and stretching up the hill in front of me are homes squeezed into every available space. Walls and roofs are made of rusty, unpainted corrugated iron. All are on wooden stilt-like foundation. There are small decks at the front, open gaps for windows and a smaller version alongside for long-drop toilets. Mostly these shack-like dwellings have no water, no paths, no sewage pipes, just muddy tracks and some small areas of garden where they can be fitted in. But what is poverty in Fiji terms? It's estimated that 80% of households in the squatter settlement survive on less than 62 New Zealand dollars per week. A Catholic priest, Father Kevin Barr, who is also a consultant for the People's Community Network, an organisation that helps squatters, explains the guidelines used by the Local Health and Nutrition Committee. So they draw up a diet. Uh, they usually have two diets, Fijian diet, Indo-Fijian diet. How much would it cost for people just to, just to live, to keep alive? It's not a very interesting diet. When you see it, well, you stay alive on it. So they usually calculate that, the food poverty line, as part of the overall poverty line. Then there's calculation made for rent, uh, housing, and for education, and for uh, transport, things like that. One of the staff from the People's Community Network, Ben Vakalomaloma, took me to another settlement on the other side of the road, nearer to the seafront, behind an industrial estate. The companies have concreted over large areas around workshops and warehouses to allow vehicles to operate. That's blocked off tidal flow and drainage, causing further problems for the families who've set up homes as best they can alongside a creek that flows out to the sea. We're standing on this bridge and it's either side of, of a squatter settlement and we can see what looks like the end of a pipe flowing into the river. What exactly is that flowing out into this river here? It looks very oily and unpleasant. Yeah, that's all waste. Uh, from the industrial area, almost all the industrial area waste comes, the flows through this uh, oil creek, has destroyed uh, marine life. This creek used to be a very clean, clean, clean creek before, where people uh, fish, uh, catch crabs and uh, sea shells and all. But now, still people are fishing in this creek because they, they they don't have employment. Some of them 
They've got the strength, but uh, they've got no skills. Uh, and most of their children are, are let out from school early due to financial problems. Yes. And there's quite a smell here. What do these homes do for, for sewerage? Mainly they use uh, pit toilets and also their sewerage is also flows through these creeks too. Yeah, no other place. They don't have proper flush toilets because uh, they, they are not allowed to even have uh, water. Some, uh, some people who had water before, when uh, there were only a few, uh, are lucky to have uh, their own main uh, pipes. And uh, with those people, they share some houses. They can, they, there can be about uh, 10 to 20 families sharing only one, one pipe. Yeah. Tens of thousands of people live in the settlements. After gathering what he called a collection of thoughts from some of those living in the squatter communities, Father Barr says it's clear that the quality of life is poor. We're, we're quoting people saying, I can't afford to feed my family. If somebody gets sick, I can't afford to buy the medicines for them. You know? I feel helpless, I feel hopeless, I feel a disgrace because I can't support my family properly. Uh, and it's a very good little reflection from an existential point of view. Not, not academics talking about basic needs and income and so on, but people themselves saying what it means to be, to be poor. A number of non-government organisations are involved in assisting those facing financial and social difficulties, including the Fiji Women's Crisis Centre. Its coordinator, Shamima Ali, says the people the centre works with are reporting rising levels of hardship. People are suffering uh, in terms of just making um, their basic need, uh, to meet their basic needs. Uh, in terms of food, in terms of children's education, uh, in terms of paying the electricity bills, uh, housing, water bills, uh, all those things. It's taking a toll on people and their finances. And, uh, you know, you also have the issue of unemployment, of reduced hours um, uh, and reduced pay uh, and so on. And, you know, and there is greater exploitation of workers in the workplace. The Ecumenical Centre for Research, Education and Advocacy, or ACREA, carried out a text-based survey in April after the hike in the value-added tax from 12.5 to 15% came into force. The director, Joseph Camillo, says it indicates people are facing a worsening situation. Roughly 10,000 people uh, or respondents uh, basically said um, they were not in a better place since the VAT increase and now it will really impact on their uh, buying power. So the 2.5 increase is in fact uh, not positive for them. Joseph Camillo says the information suggests that even middle income earners on the equivalent of 28,000 New Zealand dollars a year are sometimes finding it difficult to buy basic foodstuffs. He says basically wages have not increased in the last 10 years while VAT has gone up three times. He's advocating a review of the indirect tax and possibly exemptions on essential items. In a report on wages for the centre, an economics professor at the University of the South Pacific, Wadan Nasi, says the decrees and directives issued by the military regime are designed to treat the symptoms of hardship, but the cause is the economic stagnation created by the coup itself. Poor economic growth and weak rule of law have been blamed by the international rating agency Moody's for Fiji's sovereign credit rating remaining negative. The financial pressures for those living in squatter settlements, along with poor facilities and crowding, lead to increased stress. Father Barr says that fuels domestic violence. I remember one family some years ago <clears throat> that I intervened in and a big fight went on. 
and it was all over a pumpkin. And uh, there was a pumpkin growing in the garden, and the father had his eye on this pumpkin as going to feed the family. He came home one day, the pumpkin was gone. And he blamed his wife for not looking after the, the garden and making sure the pumpkin wasn't stolen. Those levels of stress and frustration often mean the most vulnerable are at risk. The Women's Crisis Group has found the coup culture and the dominant role of the military affects the way people behave when pressures mount, as Shamima Ali explains. We also are witnessing an increase in the incidence of violence against women, uh, both uh, within the domestic sphere as well as uh, sexual assault and rape and child sexual abuse. And uh, so we, we are seeing an increase in this uh, and also the viciousness of attacks. You know, so that, that means there is a lot of dissatisfaction amongst men uh, or also, you know, when you have increased machoism due to certain things that are happening in the country and so on, we do see this phenomenon of increased violence against women. One of the factors driving urban drift has been the non-renewal of land leases for cane farms, especially under the Austin Garase regime. Before the military takeover in 2006, the government of Lysenian Garase had a plan that 60% of all new farm leases should go to indigenous Fijians. Sometimes Indo-Fijian farmers who had been on the land for decades were left without anywhere to go, but a reduction in the area of cane production hit service workers hardest. The cane cutters and those involved in transporting the cane, loading it onto trucks or sugar trains. But in some areas take the cane from the farms to the mill. Although having declined from its high point when it was the economic backbone of Fiji, the sugar industry still provides support for roughly a fifth of the nation's population of nearly 900,000. The current administration has tried to reinvigorate cane planting with attempts to return unused land to production. But these farmers I spoke to in cane growing areas near Nandi were not optimistic about the future of rural areas. Uh, cost of uh, cultivating and uh, cost of uh, production. production is uh, not very good. The government has been talking about trying to help the sugar industry as far as farmers are going. Has anything improved for you in the last year? Last year we got some uh, help from government, but uh, this year maybe no. Government will not go to help. And the other side, harvesting cost, cane harvesting cost is very high. Cost of living is very high and there is no money in sugar cane. If we depend on sugarcane, even uh, any farmers uh, will not going to happy. We have to do some other jobs, just like planting vegetables, do some outside business. Depending with uh, cane, we can't do much. Any the sugar prices and the production, the cost doesn't go down. Sugar price doesn't come up. Milk performance doesn't go up. I think it's a doomsday for the sugar industry. The Dean of the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of the South Pacific in Suva, Professor Beeman Prasad, says farmers are increasingly sliding into incomes below poverty level. The statistics you know, on poverty show very clearly that the rural poverty has increased in Fiji. And it is partly attributed to the fact that the sugar industry has been declining in a significant way. Going forward, I think government will have to find a way to inject significant amount of money 
not only in terms of fixing the meals, but also putting that money onto the farms, either through subsidies, supporting the farmers' income. And, and I think that is a very critical factor because you can fix the meal. You know, you may get a much better world market price, you know, which, which is the case now. But if you don't have the people on the farm actually growing sugarcane, and if you don't have laborers there to harvest sugarcane, then you're not going to rescue the industry. So I would, I would actually think that if the government is able to move towards political resolution, if it is able to remove the emergency laws, lift the media censorship, in my view, I think the sugar industry can and should play a significant role in the prospects for economic growth for the future. Wada Nasi from the University of the South Pacific argues the economy has stagnated in the past four years, largely due to investment drying up following military decrees that led to the seizing of private assets and directives which prevented challenges being heard in court. He believes that incomes and employment have suffered because of the lack of growth, with those in work affected by inflation, the devaluation in 2009 and this year's increase in VAT. While cane farmers are struggling, the future for those tens of thousands living on someone else's land has in recent times looked even less certain. Parts of the land are wanted for development. The Permanent Secretary at Fiji's Ministry of Lands, Philomone Kao, says the problem is that state lands are sometimes seen as available, while private and indigenous-owned land is more closely supervised. He says efforts are being made to improve the situation, although some state land will have to be taken back. And it's more now a more holistic approach. While uh, we're trying to discourage people uh, from moving on to vacant lands, we're also at the same time addressing the issues of uh, those who have been there for, for a long while. We have uh, in a program with the Ministry of Local Government been issuing land to those that have been there. There are also some very prominent non-government organizations which are working very closely with government and they are also looking at addressing this challenge. It still remains a key issue for government. We are trying our best. You know, it's, it's an issue that will continue to be there because the challenge is basically linked up with, with other many social factors. Do you want them to have a future where they are? Do you want that land to be cleared? Is there a, an end goal? It's really looking at government priorities now. If they are prime land, uh, which could be used for other purposes for government, we will try and relocate them. But in some instances where the government feels that they can be uh, basically given lots within the area that they are currently living in, that process is happening now. But the director of the Ecumenical Centre of Research, Education and Advocacy, Joseph Camillo, says while the regime's plans for the land occupied by squatters is not entirely clear, there has already been lobbying on behalf of those living there. The positive aspect is uh, in discussions with the Ministry of Lands, the local government, uh, that they will not, uh, there won't be any evictions, eh? uh, perhaps relocation of some of them for development of, uh, uh, and making those uh, land available for development for the municipalities. But the positive part, then, since there won't be any evictions, there should be some responsibility where the uh, informal settlers pay something. Uh, but before that, they could improve the uh, the settlements, uh, and government has done that with one particular settlement, Votua in uh, Nasinu. That's a start, where um, they've given them access to electricity and water, and the roads have improved, and then recognised them as a um, 
and given them a lease. So that, that's positive. You talk about even a, a small payment to take ownership of the land. I've seen settlements which are basically in sewerage, sodden swamps. Who would be asked to pay for living there? Well, that's where government can improve the area of living. For example, there's a settlement in Batuanga Wailea that also pays rubbish collection fees. And it, it's improved their area, which was once uh, considered a dump. Uh, so that's a start, and where communities um, gather together to pay a $28 fee for the year. That's, that's not much. You add $28 per about 30 families, and that, they can afford it. The UN Children's Fund UNICEF runs a survey that regularly monitors what people can afford when it comes to food prices throughout the Pacific region. It uses information from interviews with vulnerable families, both urban and rural, as well as places where food is sold, such as this market in Suva. Additional information is gleaned from the police, schools and medical centres. The Chief of Policy and Advocacy at UNICEF Pacific, Samantha Coco-Klein, lists the sort of food on which the survey has been monitoring prices. Here in Fiji we're looking at things like powdered milk, uh, turkey, lamb, kerosene uh, for cooking, rice. And we're also looking at how families perceive their food budgets. So we check from year to year if families feel that they have a sufficient food budget or if they're struggling and we um, ask them to compare that to the previous year. And then we also go out and do basic market surveys. Now it's important to highlight that these are not national surveys of food. So they are specifically within vulnerable communities. So you will oftentimes see that prices are higher because you're dealing with small markets that are more isolated from, from distribution systems. So there is a multiplication of, of prices there. A report released in the last few months based on information gathered in 2009 and up to late 2010 says Fiji is regarded as vulnerable due to high inflation, gender inequality and growing poverty in the urban centres. Initial results from surveys that included information from this year indicate what UNICEF calls a worrying increase in food prices, which it says is having a detrimental effect on the diet of the poorest. A snapshot of the rise in prices for an urban family in Namala, at the very north of Fiji's second main island of Vanuelevu, shows a rise of 100% in the cost of rice and a 54% increase in the cost of powdered milk. Ms Coco Klein says the prices are affecting both rural and urban families. We are finding that people in Fiji are changing what they eat. Almost all of the families we interview in vulnerable communities have reported eating less meals, switching to um, cheaper foods and in many cases to less nutritious foods, uh, skipping meals and engaging in food rationing across the family. Families are also reporting that they are having to take children out of school as they need the child to work or because they can't afford the associated costs, such as uniform and stationery, even if the education itself is free. The Minister for Women and Poverty Alleviation under the military regime, Dr Jiko Luveni, says in the rural areas people often do not consider themselves poor because they can find enough to eat. But Dr Luveni believes people have to be helped to understand that they do need money. And, and this is why I tell them, just because you have good houses and just because you can have three meals a day does not mean that you are, you know, you are comfortable. If there's somebody that gets sick in the house and needs to be taken to the doctor for some major surgery and you don't have money to pay for that, then you are living in poverty. 
and also if the school children need something, you know, for their school, and and they don't have money to to pay for it, then they are living in poverty. So we have to really address it down to their basic needs, um, and and the problems that they face when they do not have money saved up. Back in town, the Women's Crisis Centre visits the squatter settlements to provide help. Its coordinator, Shamima Ali, describes the conditions as terrible. One cannot imagine those of us who have nice uh, homes and uh, can afford them and have uh, basic water supply and you, know, you can switch on a light and get electricity. I don't have to think about paying the bill and things like that. Um, you know, it's a shocking situation for many people to be. And that does put pressure on people. And these are the places where uh, we have people, a lot of criminal elements also emerging uh, out of these areas where you know it's like a very desperate and helpless situation. This is advisor for this community. Oh, I'm Sabinava. Yeah. This is uh, his wife. <laughs> Take a seat. A community leader, Savanatha, has lived in the slum area for 30 years and is now in his mid-60s. His reason for moving from his home in the Lomaiviti group of islands to the east of Suva was quite typical. He wanted a better education for his children. For him, this squatter settlement is almost like his home village. While he's retired and does not spend all his time at the settlement, some of his children now live there, and they would welcome a chance to live in better housing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. Good for us. What do you have in the way of facilities, of connections? Do you have water? We have water, but uh, the electricity, we don't have our own meter. We connect from somebody there. That's one problem. If uh, you want to stop us any time, even in night time, if we want to off the light, off it, is own. The settlement frequently floods, carrying filthy water into some of the houses. Most homes use pit toilets and open drains for washing water, so the health conditions are poor. Many in the community are unemployed or have very low-paying work and struggle to pay for food and have little left over to improve conditions. But Savanatha says the cultural values mean the community works together. Oh, our Fijian life here. We, if I, I haven't got any water or even, even I haven't got any food, I just go and ask this fellow. I just go and ask, no? You can understand me. Yeah, that's our Fijian way. The regime's Minister for Poverty Alleviation, Dr Luveni, says the administration is making strategies to help the poor a priority. She lists a range of initiatives, support with bus fares, food vouchers, free schooling and the provision of some school books. There are also moves on the health front. The health ministry is doing its best to take the services down to the people, opening, opening up more health centres that is accessible uh, to the people and, and at a lower cost. Uh, people who have been proven to be really living in poverty will be provided services free of charge. Ms Coco Klein from UNICEF applauds some of the efforts being made by the regime to counter the effect of high prices. Here in Fiji, they, they actually have interventions to try to provide um, food and cash vouchers to the most vulnerable families. So that's something we're looking at with great interest, both to see how it can be expanded and also to see how other Pacific Island countries can use that as well. 
Father Barr says while the regime has brought in some laudable projects, other policies, he argues, are working against efforts to alleviate poverty. For example, uh, we've just had an increase in value-added tax from 12.5% to 15%. And who does that hit hardest but the poor? So a government might bring in food stamps for the 3% of the population who are on social welfare. Uh, they might uh, bring in uh, free bus fares for children going to school all wonderful programs, but they're being negated by a number of the policies and consequently we're getting nowhere. And poverty, despite all the efforts of government and NGOs and so on, is continuing to increase. Fiji has not been immune from the effects of the global economic downturn. The advocacy group, the Citizens' Constitutional Forum, believes the worldwide difficulties are a strong factor in the increasing hardships facing the people of Fiji. But the group's Reverend Aquila Yambaki says that's not the only issue. It's a global issue, the increase in poverty and uh, uh, downturn in the economy. Uh, I think uh, you can always say that, that Fiji is not alone on that, but albeit it's a small economy, uh, the lack of representation is an issue and I think government knows that and uh, the only way to achieve that is to go back to to the parliament to the election parliamentary process so that people can have their say and they know that I think the pressure is on them to do that yeah. a former prime minister of Fiji Mahendra Chaudhry who was ousted in the spate coup in 2000 and who initially joined the military-led regime as the finance minister for the first two years is no longer a supporter of the administration's strategy for the future the head of the Labour Party says it's a matter of wait and see if the regime adheres to the election date of 2014. But he believes the so-called reform programme has been a step backwards for the nation's poor. We haven't seen much in the way of reforms which have contributed anything positive to the lives of the people, to improving their living standards, to bringing the people together right, and, and uniting the nation. No. In fact, the developments here since the abrogation of the Constitution in 2009 have been in the negative, right? So all these reforms, it's just a smoke screen. If people's lives are getting worse, if the nation's economy is stagnating or in recession, if the number of people in the grips of poverty is increasing, unemployment is rising, inflation is galloping, what is happening then? UNICEF Samantha Coco Klein says like many nations around the world, Fiji has to invest in agriculture and the future of the rural sector to counter the move of young people to urban centres. But while that would be a long-term goal, she says there is also need for action now. The short-term impacts on children can be, can be critical as well. It just takes six months, a year, two years of malnutrition to impact a child for the rest of their life in terms of their development. So we would want to see long-term investments in agriculture coupled with direct support to children and, and mothers. Shamima Ali says there are a whole host of projects underway, but she feels that too often good intentions are not backed up by action. What I find is in this country there is a lot of talk there is a lot of talk, but there is no action. And it really comes to you know, literally putting your money where your mouth is. It does not happen. And so all these plans and ideas actually, you know, they haven't assisted the people who need it most. The message from Savanatha to the young people of his settlement is to do everything they can to get out. I always told them, 
not trying to stay here in your own life. That's what I told them, to move on in a better life or life. That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Philippa Tolley. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by William Saunders.